Welcome to another episode of Solving the Financial Puzzle. I'm your host, Dan Capril. And each and every week, we are providing you with some additional insights on the world of personal finance. Hopefully, it's stuff you haven't heard before. Hopefully, it's things that you get at from a different perspective. So if you're listening to us because you go to our website, often great. Uh, Obviously, you can also access us through all the various channels out there, Stitcher, iTunes. I can't even remember them. You know, I'm 54 years old. I try my hardest to stay ahead of technical aspects of things, but... At the end of the day, I think the way most people ultimately listen to this podcast is because we send it to you. We send it to you because you're on our email list. And we give incentives for being on our email list. You know, unlike some companies that just want to bombard you with stuff, we're actually give you stuff of value. So what I mean by that is if you ever go to our, our website, which is www.matsonandcapril.com, And if you haven't already done so, make sure you order a copy of your Retirement Rescue Toolkit. This is a box of stuff that we've created specifically to help people plan their financial future, especially when it comes to the area of taxes, because tax is the great neutralizer. And so many baby boomers today have a significant amount of their money in 401ks and IRAs. That money has never been taxed, and it will be someday. And while I think we all want to believe that we'll be in a lower tax environment in the future, there's no guarantee for that at all. Um, You know, Washington can't seem to agree to anything. And as soon as you get a president who wants to raise taxes, history shows you they get their way because there's enough politicians who love that idea of having more money that they can then throw around. So we have to be careful about this as consumers. We also have to remember the baby boomers, They're getting older, more and more and more are moving into that part of life where they are pulling money out of the system rather than putting money in, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all those things. That's going to put a real drain on government resources, and that's why I don't expect long-term to see rates go down. I actually expect long-term in one way or another for rates to go up. So it's very important that you take the necessary steps to prepare yourself for that. And that's why if you go to our website, you can order the Retirement Rescue Toolkit, which will provide you with a lot of information. And once you do that, then I will also make sure that you get the um, podcast, this podcast, delivered right to your email inbox every single week. So one of the things we like to do on the show is we like to listen to your questions and answer them for you. And so if you ever want to um, ask me a question, just just send us an email, uh, dan at matsonincapril.com. Or you can just respond back to this email if ultimately you got this podcast through an email. And I'll be more than happy to respond to your question and might even be able to put on uh, your question on the show. There's also a button you can press on mattsandcapril.com specifically for submitting questions. All right. So this is Bess in Colerain. Bess says, my retirement account seemed to have done well for the last couple of years. But to be fair, I don't really know what they should be doing. How do I know if my money is doing what I need it to do? That's a great question. We can take this from two different perspectives, Beths. So that's what we're going to do. The first one is if I'm in an investment and it grows by, say, 8% in a year, how do I know if that was a good return or a bad return given that year? All right. Let's assume that we're talking about, let's say it's a mutual fund. Let's say it's a large U.S. stock mutual fund. So this is a a fund that buys and sells companies 
that you would typically find in the Standard & Poor's 500. So if you're ever looking to see how the market did in a given day, the S&P 500 is the measure for that. And many funds, what they will do is they will not buy all the stocks in the S&P. They may just buy 50 or 60. Their thought process is why buy them all? We'll just buy the ones that are going to finish with an above average rate of return. That's at least what they're striving to do. Now, of course, the problem with that philosophy is it's, it's purely speculative because there's absolutely no way you can know in advance which ones are going to go up and which ones are going to go down. And we could dedicate an entire show to the fallacy of stock picking. But let's just say you're in a fund and as you read the objective of the fund, and assuming, you know, Bess, you, you've done that, it will tell you what their benchmark is. What are they trying to compete against? And if it says that the purpose of this fund is to outperform the Standard & Poor's 500 on any given year or three years or five years, well, regardless of what your return was, we at least have some level of comparison to determine how well the fund did. So if the S&P 500 was up 10% and your fund was up 8 well, while 8 is a nice return, clearly this portfolio manager did not do for you that which he is charging you to do. You could have another situation where the S&P was down. Let's say the S&P was down 8% a given year. Well, then that means that if your fund was down 7%, that would actually be a good year because compared to everything else, he or she did better. So we always have to ask ourselves when we look at any type of investment, what is the objective of this portfolio? If you're trying to defeat certain market averages, well, then that's the comparison by which we apply. The problem, again, is that study after study shows, and I mean, the academic research is just oh, so overwhelming on this. It amazes me that we still have this discussion, yet we always do. And the discussion is, can markets be skillfully outperformed each and every year? And the answer clearly is no, they can't. So my advice, Bess, is first of all, your stock funds should be invested in indices, index funds, because then you're always going to get the true rate of return of the market. If the market's up five, you'll be up five. If it's down four, you'll be down four. Now understand you need to be in many different markets, not just the S&P 500. But why put yourself in a position where the fund manager is trying to outperform the averages when history shows us that 80% of those efforts fail? Why not just get market rates of return? Why are we always trying to get to defeat market rates of return? Now I, I think most investors don't really give this a whole lot of thought. They just buy stuff. But this is a really, really big issue. Because if you are underperforming your benchmark by 1% or 3%, whatever, that really adds up a lot over time. Now, the second part of it is, you know, how do I know if my money is doing what I need it to do? Which I think really what's getting down to now, in your case, Bess, is are you getting the rate of return that you need to have the long-term future that you want? Now, there's no way that I could tell you if that's the case, that if your return is what you need, because I haven't studied your situation. So 8% is fine, but if your strategy called for you to get a higher rate of return, then 8% might not be fine. 
Keep in mind, though, you're never going to get the same rate of return each and every year. So obviously, before anybody should invest, there needs to be a high level of analysis completed that determines the likelihood, given how you are situated, that you will achieve your objectives. Now, there is no magical return. Not too long ago, somebody was trying to push on me a software that you know said, well, if you get this rate of return, you're fine. Well, the problem is, is that you're never going to get that rate of return each and every year. All you're going to get is a range of returns. So if you're in a portfolio that's highly volatile, you may be very excited when you're up 20% because you're thinking, oh, that's great. That'll more than get me the retirement that I want. Yeah, but the problem with that is you're not going to get 20% each and every year. In fact, you may never see 20% again. You may have to withstand a minus 12% going forward. I mean, those are just the things that happen. It's not the actual return that matters. It's the range of returns that you're likely to get. Am I likely to get returns in a consistent manner, or am I likely to get them in a highly volatile manner? Now, volatility can work great for you during the accumulation stages of life when you are investing in something and you're watching it grow. But when you are actually liquidating it for shares, that's when you need a consistent rate of return. Now, how do you find that out? Well, frankly, it's a lot like going to see the doctor. Tests must be run. The entire picture must be looked at. You know, I get hit up a lot at family gatherings. In fact, just this is past weekend, I was with a family member. And what often happens is, you know, someone will pull me in the corner and they'll want me to give them an opinion about something, or they want me to give them advice. They learn eventually I don't do that, even to family members. I'm sorry. It's, I, I can't. It's not like I can just off the top of my head come up with something. Right? But what I try to emphasize to them is that there is no quick and easy answer. That in order to give you an answer, we would have to look at everything that you have. We would have to look at all of your sources of income. We would have to look at how your portfolio is currently structured and then measure statistically the likelihood of you getting the returns that you're, you're going to get over time. What's the likelihood of you getting them in a consistent manner? So if I'm in a portfolio that maybe has averaged 8% over the last 45 years, how likely is it that I'll get even close to that in any given year? Do most years, do the returns hover around that 8 or is there a lot of extremities going on? I guess that's the right word. <laughs> you know, are you going to be up one year 25% and the next year up minus 15? Statistically, this type of thing can be measured. But I can't give you a quick and easy answer, which I know frustrates family members, particularly after a couple of glasses of wine, that I should somehow be able to come up with some magical thing. Of course, I would never want to accuse them of trying to get something from me for free. <laughs> But the answer is a lot more complicated. All right. The reason I'm emphasizing this to you as a listener is if you've never had a very detailed, comprehensive analysis that studies your retirement income strategy going forward, then you need to get it done. Uh, we call ours the retirement rescue plan because most of the time we are rescuing people from mistakes, mistakes that they're either making on their own or their current advisor is making or something like that. And if you've never had this thing done, I highly recommend it. If you're a client of ours, you have. You may have forgotten you've had it done, but you have it done. In fact, we, we monitor it very carefully. But if you've never had it done, you need to get it done. If you'd like to talk more to me about our process and how it works, it's not for everybody. I will tell you that right now. 
Only about half the people that we talk to every day do we actually offer our services to. And it has nothing to do with the amount of money they have. No. That almost never enters into the equation. It really gets into a much bigger issue with clients. Really with anybody. You may find this hard to believe, but one of the hardest questions for people to ever answer is what do you want to do? What do you want to do with the rest of your life? What do you want to do in retirement? I get these blank stares sometimes. And sometimes I've had people almost get agitated with me, which I know if you know me, it's hard to believe anybody would be agitated with me. But they almost want me to tell them. I can't tell them. I don't know what they want to do. I have clients who live an incredibly active retirement, and I have clients who live a very, very quiet retirement. And you know what? They're both happy. But they're the ones that have to determine that. So if you can't tell me what you want to do, I really can't be of much help for you. And those are the people that typically I will not offer our services to. Now, sometimes somebody will have what I would call irrational thought processes. So for example, I've had people over the years tell me that you know they want to get 8 9% each and every year. Well, I think that's fabulous. It's just not realistic. Unless somehow you can give me next week's newspaper today, that's not going to happen. Maybe that's why Bernie Madoff was able to scam so many people because that's what he was doing. He was posting fake returns and they were consistently 8, 9, 10% every year. You know, and he would tell people, I, I can see the future. Of course, he couldn't, so it was a scam. So if the expectations are unreasonable or irrational, I'm going to let you know that. I'm going to say, you know what? Can I be candid? I don't think we're going to be a right fit for you. But if you're looking for somebody who will give you an honest approach, who will not try to become a tea leaf reader, somebody who's trying to predict the future, at least tell you that they can predict the future, then I think you're going to find the Retirement Rescue Program to be helpful. Oh, there's a few other requirements, too. You have to be a pleasant person. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll meet somebody, and I think, did I offend you in a prior life? Listen, this is a, we get very personally involved with our clients' lives. It's very hard to do what we do and not know them incredibly well as human beings to the point where it's hard to describe, but they are very, very close to me. I'm very, very close to them. And if that's not the type of relationship that you want, we may not be a good fit for you because when times get volatile and the future looks very cloudy, it is only because we have that strong relationship that we are able to coach people through the, through the tough times and not to make bad mistakes. So Bess, that was a, a long response to your question but I hope you find it to be insightful. All right, second one here, Howard. Howard in Cincinnati, now that I'm retired, I need income from my investments. Should I invest primarily in dividend-paying stocks now? All right, so let's first understand what's at play here with dividend-paying stocks. When a company makes more profit than it needs, actually, it doesn't even have to make profit, but when a company has cash sitting in its coffers at the end of the year, and it has no idea what to do with that money. It doesn't have any new technologies it wishes to invest in. There are no new plants that it needs to build, whatever. Then very often that company will literally give the money to its shareholders. Say, look, you own the company. We've got, you know, five billion sitting here in cash. We don't know what to do with it. You take it. 
And as a result, obviously you get income, you get cash from that. The challenge though, is that it's never guaranteed. Dividends are not guaranteed. Now companies will do their darndest to pay those dividends out each and every year. But there are some companies that never pay dividends. A lot of the tech companies never pay dividends. Why should they? Their attitude is we are building new technologies. Better we do it with our money that we have here so we don't have to necessarily go out and borrow it, although they will go out and borrow some. Where the shareholder will make his profit is not in the, in the dividend, but in the rising of share price. And actually, that's often how you make most of your money, is not by getting the dividend, but by getting it in share prices. All right, so should you be investing only in or primarily in dividend-paying stocks? I would tell you, Howard, that there's a place for them, certainly. But there's a place to also have your money in growth. So I would be very careful because very often I will see people limit themselves. They'll put all their money in five or six companies. And if those companies don't perform, i.e. don't pay out that dividend share, it's a very reactive retirement. You're kind of just sitting around waiting for the check to come. If it doesn't come, you're in trouble. So there is a role for them, but a well-designed portfolio is a lot like a baseball team. You know, you can give me nine Cy Young winners in their prime. And if that's all I got going for me, I'm not gonna win many, many games because those guys can't hit. You know, by the same token, if you give me, you give me a team of pre-steroid Barry Bonds. <laughs> Very exciting team to watch, especially when he was in his prime, because he could do all five areas of, of the game. But he can't pitch. So if he can't pitch, we're probably going to lose a lot of games, you know, by the score of uh, 12 to 10 or whatever the case might be. So there is a role for them. Again, the analysis that I explained to best, that's probably the best way to answer that for you. So again... If you've got a lot of things in your portfolio and you're just not sure if they're the right fit, I'd be more than happy to talk to you. And if it makes sense to do the retirement rescue analysis that we do, I'd be happy to share that with you. Another way you can always reach me is by phone, of course, old school, 513-563-7526. It's interesting. I, I have a relative who's uh, he's almost 80 now, and he was telling me how he, he only likes to text. He doesn't like to talk on the phone. First of all, usually that's something you hear younger people say. But let me discourage anybody from being that way. And the reason I say that is because you will never be able to explain yourself fully with just the written word, particularly with the text. As you probably know, most communication is non-oral. You know, it's your gestures, your expressions. That's how most communication gets conveyed. But tone of voice is huge as well. So if I'm calling somebody, I can express that tone. If I'm texting them, they could totally misinterpret what I'm saying. So be very mindful of that. Call me. I'm old school. Love to talk on the phone. Most of the time people text me, I call them back. 513-563-7526 is our number. Be happy to talk with you about you know what it is you're doing and what we're doing. Okay, last we got Larry in Mason. Larry, I just heard a great presentation about investing in oil wells, and I'm ready to jump in. All right, Larry, just wanted to make sure I'm not making a mistake. Now, come on, Larry, just the way you wrote that. <laughs> I almost wonder sometimes if these questions are setups. Let's forget for a second it's an oil well. 
and let's say it's anything else. Fill in the blank. Doesn't really matter. Look, the people that are in the world of selling you investments, they are great marketers. I mean, I look at what the gold and silver pushers do. You know, they're not regulated quite to the same extent as other professions are. They're not regulated. Like if you were a, um, a broker trying to push a stock, there is no way you could market it the way that the gold and silver people do. Gold bugs, we like to call them. No way you could do that. You'd go to jail. So whether it be gold, whether it be silver, whatever the case, you can always make a compelling argument. Look, you want to have some energy stocks in your portfolio? Do it. But if you're going to put 100% of your money or 50% of your money in one single asset class, you're rolling the dice. So if you look at oil, I remember as a kid that my first conscious memory of oil and gasoline, I don't even know what year it was. I'm going to say maybe it was 1970, 1971. And at that point in time, gas was 40 cents a gallon. Now, over the years, it's been everywhere. It soared to a dollar during the whole OPEC crisis issues. And it had hung around a dollar for like ever. And it wasn't that long ago, it was up to four bucks. And now I'm talking about here in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Those of you who live out in California, this is like foreign to you, I, I get it. Just know there are states that don't tax $2 on, on every gallon that's made. Okay. But you know that already. All right. The thing is, is that it's highly volatile. There's a lot of volatility that goes with it. And so many people have made a killing in oil and many people have lost their shirt on oil. Does it make sense to have some of your money in the energy sector? Of course. But does it make sense to put all of your money in there? No, it's like playing the lottery. You know, the more lottery tickets you buy, the greater your chances are of winning, but your chances of winning still aren't all that great. So you gotta be very careful. When it comes to your portfolio in retirement, it's not a matter of if this will make money as much as it's a matter of when will it make money. And when you're approaching retirement, you need a very clear understanding about when is. It's got to be like now. If it's something where, you know, like gold was, where you go through like a 40-year bear market, that can really, really hurt you. So be skeptical, Larry. Be very skeptical. Make sure that it's a reasonably small percentage of your portfolio. And also, make sure that it's liquid, meaning you can get out of it at any time without any penalties. But does it make sense to have Exxon, for example, in your portfolio? Sure. You should have every major industry. But where people tend to get burned is they get too involved. Uh, they put too much in, and sometimes things don't work out for them. So, again, if you find yourself like Larry, there's a particular industry that just looks super attractive to you, and you want to discuss it more, I'm a wonderful devil's advocate. Feel free to reach out to me. 513-563-PLAN is our number, 513-563-7526. You can go to matsonandcapril.com. There's a, a button on there you can hit to ask me any kind of question you want. Don't forget about the Retirement Rescue Toolkit. If you don't have it, order it. It's great. DVD, CD, books, reports, a lot of great information that's in there. And it's tangible stuff, not just this download stuff that you get. All right? And we'll be more than happy to help you. I'm all about trying to help our listeners avoid the mistakes that can ruin their retirement. Again, that's why we call our strategy the Retirement Rescue because we're trying to rescue people from the mistakes that they can make. 
So until next time, I'm Dan Caprill. I want to thank you for listening to Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Caprill or about today's topic, visit matsonandcaprill.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of MPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.